Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. Hey, um, it's great to be here this morning. Uh, my name's Mark. If I haven't met you, met you, it'd be great to meet you at some stage. I, um, I work at Mueller College, which is a sister school for the school that we've got here at Carmichael. And um, I'm the speaking team here. So <clears throat> it's great to be here with you this morning. I've been a bit sick, so hopefully I won't be coughing too much. We're going to start with a bit of a game today. Uh, you need to take out your phone or device. If you have a phone or a device, this is the time to take it out. Does anyone else have ADD? I have ADD. I'm the worst person to have sitting in front of you when you're speaking because I like get distracted by my phone or whatever. This is the moment where you can get distracted guilt-free. So here we go. We're going to play a game called Kahoot. Has anyone played Kahoot before? You need to go to the website, kahoot.it. So if you go to the website, kahoot.it, and then you need to type in that pin number in the game pin. So uh, 8211. Two, three, five, and then you need to write a name. It doesn't really matter what name you write. Probably don't write anything inappropriate. I'm a high school teacher, so this is what I need to uh, tell people. Okay, Mark, I'm in. So, right, we're getting some people in. I'm going to give you about 30 seconds to see how fast you can get in here. We're a very technology technology savvy church, so I uh, got a few seconds to do this. Who's who's played Kahoot before? Uh, a few people. When you play Kahoot with high schoolers, it's the, I don't know why, but they think it's the best thing ever. One of their big requests is they want an all-in Kahoot at the entire high school, but it won't work. Our internet shuts down. It doesn't cope with it. So how are we going? 32 players. I'll give you about 15 more seconds. I just saw that Trump's playing, which is fantastic. He's got big dogs going to be there. Mark's friend. I've got a friend. This is fantastic to know as well. Awesome. So, is anyone else playing? Okay, I'll give you five more seconds. Four, three, two, one. Okay, are you ready? What's going to happen is a question is going to come up on the screen. On your device, you have to pick a color which uh, represents the answer you want to give. Okay, let's have a look at the first question. Righto. Are you ready? Yes, we are ready. Number one. Oh, we're taking a poll. How do you know it's time to move out of home? You can cook using something other than a microwave. You're able to keep a plant alive for longer than three days. You know the difference between a dishwasher and a washing machine. You know the difference between the bathroom floor and a washing machine. You have to pick one of them. You have about 14 seconds left. It's a very stressful game, isn't it? Usually by now, people are yelling out answers. They're pushing and shoving over who gets to hit the number on the device. Okay, three, two, one, here we go. Okay, 32%. You can cook using something other than a microwave. Who can do that? I can kind of do that. I'm not very good. I've burnt a kitchen down before, so I'm not the person you want cooking for you. Uh, Question number two. How do you know it's time to become a full-time professional Instagrammer? You can get thousands of likes just posting a picture of a toothpick. Random people ask your advice on the best restaurants and coffee spots. You know the subtle but important difference between hashtag blessed and hashtag bless. You have a sponsor willing to fund you following your dream. 
Okay, you got about 20 seconds or 10, oh no, you got five seconds. This is, this is a tough choice. What do we go here? Okay, 42%. Has anyone ever posted an obscure object just to see if they'll get likes? I've done this as an experiment, and I, I chose a girl because I've got a theory, and, I, and this is going to sexist. If a man posts something on Instagram, he might get five or ten likes. If a girl posts exactly the same picture, they'll get a hundred likes. I'm not even kidding. We took a photo of an obscure object. It didn't even make sense. It was blurry. I have more Instagram followers than her. I should have got more likes. I got three likes. She got 47. She got comments like, so creative and artistic. It was rubbish. Okay, next one. Right on. Um, how do you know it's time to audition for The Voice? Some of you may have done this. Someone other than your mum thinks you're good at singing. Uh, you're at least as talented as the purple wiggle. You know all the words to twinkle, twinkle, little star and what they mean. Your grandma asked you to sing at her retirement village carols concert. That's how you know people. Righto. Ten seconds left. Do you guys play this in the primary school? Does anyone play this at Carmichael? Is this a, is this a bit of a hit at Carmichael or not? No, no, okay. That's a no from Shane. Okay, maybe it's been banned. Okay, 57%. Someone other than your mum thinks you're good at singing. That's always a win. Awesome. So, uh, we are in the middle of a series uh, called The Choice Is Yours. And uh, what we've been really doing, or what Jason's been asking, is what is the wise thing to do? What is the wise thing to do? And as we move into week number three, we are going to ask, what is the wise thing to do with our time? How do I know it's the right time to do something? How do I carve out enough time for the things I care about? How can I make sure I'm not wasting my time? Now, time management is a big deal and concern for nearly all of us. All of us feel like we don't have enough time. We're super busy. We're tired. We're exhausted. Time is a massive issue for all of us. But here's the problem, I think. I think knowing what to do with our time can be super confusing. Knowing what to do with our time can be super confusing. If you read books on time management, some books will very much focus on efficiency. It's about cramming more and more in and getting more done. Then other people will say, no, 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 that's the wrong approach. Rather than try to cram more in, rather than try to be more efficient, we should cut more things out. We should create more space and more margin so that we're not busy all the time, we're not pressured all the time, and we leave space for the inconsequential things so we can focus on that, which is really important. Who do you listen to? Is it about being more efficient or about cutting things out? Or alternatively, some people will say, no, the key is to multitask. Who's a multitasker here? Right? I'm a terrible multitasker. I try to multitask everything and I get ADD and distracted. I'm shocking. But some people will say it's about multitasking. Other people will say, no, no, no. When you multitask, you can't focus. You're better off saying, I'm going to pick the one thing that really matters. I'm going to be present in this moment. I'm going to focus on the thing that I'm meant to be doing in this moment right now. Multitasking is bad. So should we multitask or should we not multitask? Or if you read books on time management, you might have come across this quadrant. This is from a guy called Stephen Covey. And he talked about uh, four quadrants and he looked at the important versus the urgent. 
And he said, a lot of people are driven by the urgent, but really we need to be driven by the important. And it's not enough to just do what is urgent but unimportant, but we need to focus on the important things. And Covey came along in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. This took off, but what people found was they couldn't really maintain it. You had to be very emotionally disciplined to be able to pull this off. So then another um, writer came on, Ken Blanchard, and he changed it and he said, no, 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 the problem is we need to think through motivation and we need to look at this other set of quadrants, want to, have to. And he said, it's not enough just about thinking through what's important and what's urgent. We need to think about what are we likely to want to do in the moment. And we need to arrange things in such a way that we turn those have to, don't want to's into have to, want to's. And you can go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Here's what I think. I think different things are helpful for different people. If you're lazy, then maybe you need to become more disciplined. But if you're overworked, then we need to become more um, inclined to rest and cut things out of our life. It just depends on our personality. It depends upon our life circumstances. So how do we talk about time when there's such a diversity of opinions, such a diversity of personality types, and such a diversity of situations in the room? What I want to do today is maybe focus on one principle that I think is true for all people in all times, in all places, in all cultures, throughout all of history. And this is a principle that comes from the Bible. If you have a Bible there, you might like to turn to Job chapter 14. Even if you're not from a church background, you may have heard of the story of Job. Job was a successful guy who worshipped God. But one day, or not really one day, but through a season, Job goes through a very intense period of suffering. And during this time, his his friend Zophar comes to him and argues that if he would simply devote more of his time to God, more of his energy to God, more of himself to God, then Job would have the security and hope for the future. Job, the reason you're suffering is you're not devoted enough to God. And Job responds and he says, listen, I know I've been walking with God. I know I'm not perfect, but I'm a worshipper of God. And he responds to his friend Zophar in chapter 14. Let's have a look. Verse 1. Mortals born of woman are very few days and full of trouble. They spring up like flowers and wither away. Like fleeting shadows they do not endure. Verse 5, a person's days are determined. You have decreed the number of his months and have set limits he cannot exceed. Job talking to God at this point. Now, does this mean that from the beginning of time, God decided the exact number of days that every single person would live? Is everything being set out? Is there, is there nothing that can be changed? Has everything been predetermined before time even existed? Or is Job referring to something else here? Well, the IVP Bible background commentary says this. The, the idea here is probably not that any particular lifespan was predetermined by God, but that any lifespan was comparatively insignificant was a comparatively insignificant period of time. In other words, what Job is saying is, my life is short. I don't have an eternity to spend here on earth. This life that I'm enduring, this suffering that I'm going through, yes, it's hard. Yes, it's difficult. But I'm here for a very short time. Death is coming. 
Psalm 39 says something very similar. Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Life is short and death is coming. Job goes on, verse 7. At least there is hope for a tree. If it is cut down, it will sprout again. And if it's new, sorry, and its new shoots will not fail. Its roots may grow old in the ground and its stump die in the soil. Yet at the scent of water, it will bud and put forth shoots like a plant. Here we find Job hinting at the idea of reincarnation. The idea is that a tree can die. That it, that it, it can be like a dead stump in the ground. It's no longer a tree. It's dead. But then the hint of water comes along and a new tree is born out of the old. Uh, has anyone seen Guardians of the Galaxy? I feel like I mentioned Marvel movies here and they're not a hit. Does anyone watch Marvel? Please, someone. Okay, right. Guardians of the Galaxy, we see something very similar. Does anyone know who Groot is? Groot is a tree. He talks, he can do cool stuff, but he's a tree. In the first movie, I hope this doesn't wreck it for you, he sacrifices himself to rescue the rest of the Guardians. He sacrifices himself and dies for the sake of others. But because he's a tree, they take some of his remains and they begin to feed it water and put it back in some soil and it is reborn. It's not the same Groot. Even the director James Gunn said, no, this is a new version of Groot. In a sense, he has been reincarnated. And Job is saying, that is what we see with plants, in a sense, but that is not what we see with humans. He goes on in verse 10. But a man dies and is laid low. He breathes his last and is no more. As the water of a lake dries up, or a riverbed becomes parched or dry, he lies down and does not rise till the heavens are no more, People will not wake or be roused from their sleep. In other words, a person's life is not like a tree. It's much more like water. Once water evaporates, it's gone. You can't get it back. It doesn't, it's not reborn. It doesn't reincarnate. It vanishes. It's gone. And our life, our human life is like water. There is a moment where we are going to evaporate and that will be the end. In other words, what Job is saying is this. Life is is short death is coming aren't you so glad you come to church for such encouraging messages welcome to church <laughs> now you're kind of like surely there's another church around here that's a bit more encouraging than creekside well um a few years ago i had a friend who decided to make an, an a basically uh what do they call them like a, an app or like a an iphone game or an android game or whatever and as you can imagine, there's so many people trying to develop games and to get into that market is very difficult. He had an idea. He thought every video game you ever play, you get multiple lives and you get to play for a really long time. But what if we made a game where you only got one life? That's it. You get one life. Once you die, that's it. You can never play the game again. He literally created a game called One Single Life. Check out this video.
Okay, that's probably enough because that's pretty much the entire game. Now, as you can see, there's not much to this game. I don't, I mean, you know, I'm sure he's quite talented, but, you know, it's not going to set the world on fire in terms of graphics or sound or anything like that, right? So that's it. That's the whole game. But if you die, you're dead. That's it. It's a really short game. There's no coming back. There's no reincarnation. There's no extra lives. There's no pay extra money and then all of a sudden sign up to this and they get your credit card details and you get extra. There's none of that. Once you're dead, you're dead. For some reason, people thought, this is so unique. This is so novel. It went to the top of the iTunes charts. This is, this is basically the number one game in the world for a week. Because everyone's thinking, this is incredible. This is nothing like every other video game, but it is like real life. Isn't it true that a lot of us, we don't think that life is short and death is coming? I mean, we know it, but it's not on our mind. We don't like talking about that. We like to think that life is long. We like to think that death can wait. Or think about death when I'm older. But really, the idea of thinking about death now, the idea about thinking about that life is short now, no one wants to, I mean, even just talking about this right now, I feel like I'm the negative person in the room. No one wants to speak like this. We don't want to think about death. We don't want to think about the shortness of life. We want to assume that life is long and that death can wait. But Job is saying, no, life is short and death is coming. So in light of that, if that's true, The question we want to ask today is, what is the wise thing to do with our time? If it's true that life is short and death is coming, how do we spend the short life that we have? Now, I'm sure that that, that's really enough. That's all we really need to look at today. But I want to maybe take this down two different paths. And maybe there's at least two different types of people in the room. For those of us, The first kind is those of us who are sure that we will spend the afterlife with Jesus. If life is short and death is coming, we want to consider what will happen after death. And there are some people in the room today, rightly or wrongly you might argue, but those of us who who have come to put our trust in Jesus, there are some of us in the room today who are sure that we will spend the afterlife with Jesus. It doesn't mean we don't ever have doubts. It doesn't mean that we don't ever question our faith. What it means is that we believe that something has happened in history, that because of that event in history, we have a place with Jesus in heaven for eternity. It's not because we're good. It's not because we're kind. It's not because we're loving. It's because we have a Savior who paid for our sin in full. And because of that, we can be sure. Now, for those of us who are sure, there is, I think, something we need to do with this very short life that we have. Um, in, the, in the Bible, we read about a guy called the, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a church leader. Uh, he was going to be played by Hugh Jackman in a movie, by the way. I don't know if you can see that photo. That's Hugh. I don't think that movie's been made yet, but I'd like to see Hugh Jackman in anything, really, to be honest. I have a man crush on Hugh. But Paul writes to the churches of Philippi and in Philippians 1, he's very aware that life is short and death is coming. And this is what he says. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. 
I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Jesus, which is better by far. But it is more necessary, he's writing to a church, for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. What's Paul saying? He's saying, listen, I know there's an afterlife much, much, much better than this life. I know that Jesus face to face with no hint of sin in my life, no suffering, no pain, no evil, spending every moment intimately with Jesus is far better than what I am experiencing down here. I'm looking forward to that. I can't wait for that moment. It's far better to be with Jesus. But because of others, because there is a mission, because there are things to do on this earth, because I've been given a very short window of time to be able to make a difference in this world, I will remain and leverage my life for that purpose. He goes on in Acts 20 and he says this, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying the good news of God's grace. What does it look like to use our time wisely? Should we multitask? Should we not multitask? Should we cram more things in? Should we cut more things out? Should we talk about what's urgent and important? Should we talk about what have to, want to? I don't know the answers to that question. What I know is that life is short that death is coming. And if, if you here, if we here, for those of us here today who are saying, I know I have a place with Jesus. I know that Jesus' death was enough to pay for my sin in full. I know that my eternity is secure. Doesn't it make sense with the very short window of opportunity that we've been given to leverage every moment of every day for the sake of those who desperately need Jesus? That we wouldn't just even look at our time, we look at our resources, our energy, our relationships, our opportunities, everything that we have. How can I leverage more and more of my time? How do I leverage this for the sake of those who need Jesus? Life is short and death is coming. That's the time management strategy that seems to be applicable to all of us. The second group of people are those in the room who might be saying, I'm not sure of what will happen to me in the afterlife. There's those who are not sure of what will happen to us in the afterlife. In Luke 23, um, we read about the death of Jesus. And we read that Jesus actually didn't die alone. Maybe one um, you know, thing about his death that you weren't aware of. He didn't die alone. There's actually two criminals hung on crosses beside him. One of those criminals insulted Jesus and mocked him. But one of those other criminals had a realisation, hang on, my life is short. He's incredibly aware that life is very, very short, that death is coming. Literally, death is coming today. And he's not sure of where he's going to spend the afterlife. He's concerned, and rightly so. In Luke 23, this is what happens. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Are you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. 
but this man, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. So there's a recognition by this criminal that he is a sinful person. He is a criminal. He has failed morally. He has failed spiritually. He is a spiritually and morally bankrupt person. If he's being punished, he is rightly being punished. He is getting what his deeds deserve. And because of that, he's concerned. And rightly so. That's a, that's a reasonable thing. I want to know what's happening on the other side. So he looks to Jesus. He may not even know that much about Jesus. But he looks to Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I don't know a lot about you, Jesus. I don't understand this whole thing. I don't necessarily understand the ins and outs of this big movement, this movement of Christianity that you're starting. I just know, Jesus, that you're not an ordinary man. I know that you're not just another person being hung on a cross. I know that you're the son of God, that you are the king of kings. And when you come back, Jesus, remember me. If there's any hint of mercy in you, if there's any grace in you, any willingness to forgive, please, Jesus, forgive me, have mercy on me, remember me. And Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, this is phenomenal. Because most people, we think, well, in order to get into the afterlife with Jesus, in order to get to heaven, I need to work my way in. I need to make up for my past, and I need to make sure that my future life has more good than bad, more right than wrong. I need to make sure that I do enough. And the idea of being told in a moment that I'm going to be spending eternity with Jesus, that doesn't make sense. Haven't you got to be good to go to heaven? Haven't you got to be spiritual? Haven't you got to be religious? Haven't you got to pray? How can, this, how can this criminal make up for his past? How can he promise to do good in the future? He can't do any of that. You often hear people in church say, well, if you want to become a Christian today, you need to make a commitment. Who's heard that before? And you sit there and think, what are they committing to? Committing to what? Committing to being good, all the best with that. Committing to being faithful, all the best with that. Committing to always walking close with, like our commitment means nothing before Holy God. Does this make sense? The thief on the cross could not commit to anything and neither can we. He simply looked at his life, realized I am a sinner who needs a saviour. And he trusted in Jesus. A few weeks ago, um, Jason uh, shared with me that we want to start using um, a simple tool that we thought might be helpful for us at Creekside. For those who are maybe asking, well, how do I actually cross over from death to life? How do I go from being not a child of God to becoming a child of God? How do I go from not having the Holy Spirit to receiving the Holy Spirit? How do I know, go from not being sure about where I'll spend eternity to being sure that I'm going to spend eternity with Jesus? How do I transition? How do I cross over? And Jason shared with me something which I think was very helpful, so we might be using this a fair bit more. It's the ABC approach. A simply means to admit. Admit that I'm a sinner. I would think all of us could do that. I'm happy to say I've sinned today. Put your hand up if you know you've even sinned today. Nice and high, we're all going to judge you. This is the kind of church we are. That's easy to do. All of us should be able to do that. 
So, B, believe. Now, this might be harder, and I get that. We're not asking you, God's not saying you have to believe every single thing 100% of the time at all moments and all places. We can have doubt. But it's believing enough to say, listen, Jesus, I'm not sure about a lot of things. I have lots of questions. I have lots of doubts. But Jesus, I'm willing to bet my life and eternity that you maybe can save me. So in that sense, I'm willing to believe Jesus, even with my questions, even with my doubts. In a sense, I'm believing that you are the saviour of the world. You died on the cross to pay for my sins and you rose from the dead. And then lastly, we simply call on him. We basically say to Jesus, would you save me? I'm the sinner who needs saving. We don't promise to obey. We don't make a commitment to live a faithful life. We don't say, God, I'll, I'll sort out all my past sins and then I'll promise to live. No, we simply say, I am the sinner who needs a saviour. I need a saviour from the consequences of my sin. And Jesus, I need a saviour from the power of sin in my life. I need the Holy Spirit to come into my life, to transform me from the inside out, make me a new person, make me a new creation and begin to live in me and through me to make me more loving, more kind, more patient. So Jesus, I stand here today as a sinner. I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that you died on the cross to pay for my sins and I call on you to save me. If that's you today, I just thought it would be great to have that opportunity. You don't need to be embarrassed about that. About 50% of people in church are unsure. This is very normal. But I just think how cool would it be if all of us today could walk out that door knowing for sure that we're going to spend eternity with Jesus. So can we just have every single person with their head bowed and their eyes closed? Maybe you've grown up in church and you've never been sure. Maybe you had a time of being sure, but you're no longer sure because of things in your life or you think you've done something or whatever. But if you're saying today, I want to be sure, this is the moment. What better time than right now? It can happen in a moment. There's no making up for sin. It's simply, would you admit in this moment, I'm a sinner. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again? And would you call out to Him to save you? If that's you today, would you just simply just put your hand up right now and say, Jesus, that's me. I want to be sure. Just this is the moment. Just put your hand up and say, Jesus, I'm calling out to you to save me. This is my moment. Jesus, in this moment, I declare my need for you. You did not come to condemn, but to save. I'm the sinner you came to save. Jesus, in the best way I know how, I trust in your death on the cross as payment for my sin. I invite you to give me your Holy Spirit to come into my life, to make me a new person, to transform me from the inside out. And would you adopt me as your child, Father? Make me your very own precious child and give me a relationship with you. We look forward to the day, Jesus, when we'll see you face to face. Amen.